Welcome to Menu Feed, a bi-weekly podcast from Winsight Media's two food service brands, Restaurant Business and Food Service Director. I'm Pat Kobe, Senior Editor covering Menu Food and Drink for both brands. Today I'm talking with Matthew Harding, Senior Vice President and Culinary Director at Piatta Italian Street Food. Matt's culinary journey has landed him in many fine dining and polished casual restaurants and he expertly translates that experience for customers at the 38-unit fast casual. He still focuses on giving every dish the chef's touch, training team members to execute with that priority as they customize menu items on the line. Recently, Matt has expanded his line of chef-curated bowls, elevated the beverage selection, optimized signature dishes for off-premise, and focused on adding more snacks and sides. Listen as he shares these menu innovations and more, and describes how he is helping Piata enhance the guest experience, grow the concept, and lead the chain's teams forward. Welcome, Matt. Thanks so much for joining me today. It's absolutely my pleasure to be here, Pat. So tell me a little bit about your culinary journey. Yeah, so, uh, well, uh, the long story long is um, I grew up in Massachusetts and um, from a young age and people asked me how I got into food service. And, and I can always remember being hungry, like, you know, as a, as a, as a, and we weren't, you know, we always had enough food, but I was always like that kid that was hungry. And um, I love the smell of things. And even at a young age, I think that the smell of things was um, something that gave me emotion in terms of, uh, you know, flavor and sight and insight and smell. So um, I really love that piece. Of it. So that's, that's, you know, my, my excitement about food started there. And um, I went, uh, I was very, very fortunate enough to find a mentor when I was 13, um, who was a certified master chef. And um, he was really pivotal in getting me into the culinary arts and pushed me to go to culinary school. Um, and that's where my life took off. So, you know, what, what, uh, that was really the beginning of it. The, the, where I ended up, um, as you know, vice president of culinary and menu innovation at Piata, um, has been a long story, right? You know, I, I've grown a couple of companies and had an opportunity to work for some amazing people. Um, but it's just the opportunity to kind of work uh, in an environment where you get to create something. That's exactly my sweet spot. So I love that. Where did you actually grow up? I grew up in Massachusetts um, near Cape Cod. Oh, so, nice. Um, yeah, two miles from the ocean. So oh, my wow. first job, I used to work in a converted gas station. Um, <laughs> that was a seafood market. And it was also a, uh, was also a, a a little fried food shack that we, we cooked a lot of, and I, and to this day, there's probably no more satisfying item for me to eat than fried clams, even mm. when they get the big black bellies in the summer. Yeah. I love those too. And it, I lived in Chicago for seven years and they are non-existent there. So I'm so glad to be back on the East coast now. <laughs> That's one of the beautiful things about regional food and not everything is meant to be eaten everywhere. At every right. Yeah. So where did you actually go to school? I went to school at the Culinary Institute of America um, back when it was just three, you know, three dorms and they didn't have the West Coast edition. And, uh, you know, so that was the kind of uh, experience that I had. 
So yeah, went to the Culinary Institute. Uh, after that, I moved down to Washington, D.C., worked for the Intercontinental Hotel chain. Um, and then I, moved, I desperately wanted to move out to California. So uh, pounded the beat for a whole week in San Francisco. And I think I left 60 resumes. And this was back in the day where you had to like, you know, have a resume. You actually had to write letters. And, um, <laughs> and then just luckily enough, I got a job at Camping Place Hotel uh, on my last day that I was there. Uh, Brad Ogden was the chef there. Um, and it was really the epicenter of, of the culinary world uh, at the time. Uh, and that started my journey. So I was in San Francisco for almost a decade on and off. Did a lot of traveling mm. while I was there. Uh, and then I took a job and moved to Bad Griesbach, Germany, near Passau the, in Bavaria. And I was the chef of a Cal My wife and I were chefs of a California cuisine restaurant in Bavaria, which was <laughs> very unique, very crazy, awesome time. And, uh, you know, it was an absolutely beautiful place. Mm. Uh, and enjoyed that. And then we, we moved back to the States and, um, you know, began working with a company that ultimately uh, I led as a corporate chef um, and grew it to 125 units before I left the company. So how did your time in San Francisco influence the culinary direction you took later? Uh, it was like, it was the masterclass, right? Mm. When, when, you, when you meet the, the intersection of talent from around the states, amazing food, and and culture for amazing food. Um, it's a masterclass. You know, just the opportunity to work with things. Like we had, I remember one day, um, Cameron Ryan, uh, our, our pastry chef at the restaurant. She um, she would taste. The, the berries when they came to the back door, like the produce guy would show up and you'd go and you taste the berries. And, and for someone who lives in a big city, that's probably normal, right? But someone who doesn't live in a big city that doesn't have access to those, like the chef goes and tastes the berries and then okays them. And if they're not great, you'd scurry the produce person away. And an hour <laughs> later, they'd have berries that were acceptable. And, wow. you know, and, and people just can't like fathom how awesome that is. Um, and, and it became a, a playground for where you understand where the standards are. Like, you know, so you understand that is possible in places and that becomes part of your toolkit, part of your expectation, part of the thing that makes you um, know that there is better. Like we can do better. So what were some of the life skills that you picked up along the way that are helping you, you know, progress in your career? Well, I've always loved crazy. Um, I've always been attracted to chaos. Uh, that's why I, I began my work in the kitchen. And, um, and I find that, you know, you've got to be able to accept and meet people where they are. Mm. And um, not everybody's got to be the same. And for me, it's about kind of listening to who the person is and understanding being sympathetic and then trying to, trying to find the right notes to inspire them to be better. Um, in, in, you know, in my younger years, I was a pretty um, driven person and um, I was not exactly open to all thoughts and ideas, um, but working in the industry for so long, and I had some great mentors that, that really uh, did, a, did a good firm job of 
giving me pats on the back and slaps upside the head that um, allowed me to grow, to, to grow into somebody that actually can inspire people, that actually, um, that actually understands that people are on the journey. And the idea is take the people on the journey. They, they're going to leave. Everybody leaves. You know, I, I've worked with leaders before and they, and they get upset when somebody leaves. And, and yes, you want people to stay with you forever. But my point is to get, I want to give you everything knowing that you're going to leave because it makes it better. And that's the reason why it's not, it's not a selfish thing. I'm not going to only share information with you that, that will keep you here forever. Uh, it does the team no good. So um, some of the big, biggest lessons, uh, you know, I learned is, you know, if you've got time to do it, you've got time to do it right. And um, it was interesting when I was working in the East Coast and, and I was working in this one restaurant and it was, we worked so hard, but we didn't have the formula. And we saw all these other restaurants getting these accolades and awards and, and, and we were like, what are we doing wrong? And then once you work inside that, that sort of golden dome of excellence, you kind of get it. But when you, you're not in it. And so, you know, one of the, one of the biggest pieces of advice I could, I could give someone is, you know, if, if you're not scared, if you can do the job, you're probably not challenging yourself enough. Um, and, it's, and it's really important to do that early on in your career when the only thing you want to do is be excellent, right? Because you want to prove yourself. Um, but the longer you keep yourself in that uncomfortable zone, the zone of learning, uh, then then you're going to be better in the end. But you've got to you got to you got to be tough about it. You got to stick it out, and you you have to know your plan. You know the other thing is if you're the smartest person in the room, probably in the wrong room. <laughs> I like that. Did you actually start a Piata when it launched, or um, did you come in afterwards? No, I worked with um, I worked with Chris, who's the CEO, the owner of Piata. Um, when I moved to Columbus, I strangely that I didn't interview with them because I heard that they were tough to work for. I had just uh, come from working in California, mm-hmm. and then I worked in Germany, and it was very kind of like workers' rights and um, had a good schedule. I worked a lot because I enjoyed the work, um, and then we had these conversations where like, hey, if you're doing really well, you can work, you know five and a half days a week, if you're hitting your numbers. I'm like, well, isn't that six days a week? <laughs> um, so, but you know what, we grew and, uh, and I've, I've come to love working, working with him. So I worked with him um, from 94 to, I think he left the company around 2006, 2007. Uh, and then, um, uh, and then he went and, and started Piata in 2000. He really started the genesis of it in 2008, 2009, opened the first door in 2010. I stayed with the previous company that he was with, started with Bravo and Brio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I left uh, early in 2014, moved out to Los Angeles for a second, um, which ultimately didn't work out, but led me back here to Piata. And he had heard that I was in town and he called up and, um, and he, uh, he said, Hey, you know, heard you're in town and just want to talk to you. And I knew, I knew he was going to put the schmooze on. So, uh, but it's been full tilt boogie ever since, you know, I started when there were 17 restaurants. Now we're 38. Um, we took a couple of years off and, um, 
And now we're back at it. So we've got a big, bold, audacious plan. We're on a, we're on a quest uh, to grow and, uh, and I'm all for it. Why is the fast casual segment so exciting right now? Uh, it seems like, you know, that's where a lot of the innovation is taking place. Why is it so much fun for you to be working in fast casual? Because guests are moving there with expectations. Mm. Um, and, I, and I don't want to belittle fast food, right? So because they're, you know, hey, listen, if, if you can, if you own the company of McDonald's, you'd be a very successful person and, you know, you'd, you'd be a great, uh, be a great force in the business world. But guests now, and, and you've seen this huge over the past 30 years, democratization of food, where the guests, as they become more educated about food, they want less of a stuffy environment and mm. they expect that food more often than they ever have before, you know? So you saw the rise of casual dining, right? And all these brands sprouted out. And I remember working in a, in a, in a polished casual concept and looking around and knowing the guests because it was an open kitchen. And I'm like, that person could buy the restaurant and that person could buy the restaurant and that person could own the entire shopping center that we're in. <laughs> so it wasn't that, it wasn't that people were looking for a relaxed environment to, to enjoy dining in. They didn't want the stuffiness. Mm -hmm. People have become more casual. You know, the new thing is to be wearing $2,000 worth of clothes that looks like you're wearing, you know, $40 worth of clothes. It's the <laughs> jeans, but the jeans are 300. It's the fancy belt with the, you know, with the labels on it. Um, so there's really been a democratization where, where you're getting good food at all levels and fast casual by its design is designed to weather the um, current and future crises, I do believe better mm. because you don't have a front of the house service model, right? Less people in the building. Um, you know, there are some things that people are willing to take for their experience. Like they want to dictate how long they're there. They want to dictate what's in their food. So with fast casual, there's customization. Um, and, and, but we're building kind of very cool, very high end environment for our guests to enjoy, you know, you've got the nice humes, uh, fumed oak and you've got the wrought iron steel. So it looks kind of modern. It's kind of cool. Um, and it's a little bit upscale, right? It's not, mm -hmm. a cheap, um, it's not a, it's not a colorful kind of in your face, bold experience. Um, it's a little bit more subdued. So I think that it's the sweet spot for the public because they want access to these items. And frankly, we were, you know, when I started at Piata, we were using the same salmon, same fresh salmon that we were using in a polished casual instead of charging, you know, $26 for it, $25 for it, we're charging 12. Mm. I think it's even more true, you know, after the pandemic, people really want that kind of atmosphere and comfort that they feel in fast casual and, and we were we were in the digital game before the pandemic mm -hmm. it wasn't like there was there was no pivot to be had we were just ready right so tell me a little bit about the menu um, and about the piata itself i don't know if you know all our listeners know what a piata is so yeah 
the Piata itself is uh, a Puccino Povera. It's a, it's a peasant dough, right? Every culture has this peasant dough that they would put whatever they could and roll it up and you actually could have it. There was a, um, there was a, there was a portion of the, the history of the Piata that I read where they would fold it up in their pockets. So they, they would call it a Tosca, like, you know, they would put it at the top. It's Italian for, for uh, you know, like pocket food. And, and so they would put it as they were working in the fields, they'd pull it out, it was wrapped, they could eat it. Um, but the Piata is basically four ingredients. It's sea salt, olive oil, flour, and water. And it's pressed on either a stone or a metal, uh, a metal uh, pan, and then just kind of rolled out. Um, and as you can see, when you get a piata at piata, um, you know you see the frayed edges from kind of the, that that blown out look to it. And what um, else differentiates the menu of piata besides the piata itself? I know sure. that you do a lot of you know fresh ingredients and house-made sauces. So tell me a little bit about those and the Italian street food aspect. I think what differentiates ourselves from other fast casual concepts is that we have a day part. We have, we have a very solid two day parts. So we're, you know, we're, we used to be, you know, 51 lunch, 48 dinner during mm -hmm. the pandemic. We went to 51 dinner, 48 lunch, you know, plus change, minus change. Um, but we also have hot food. We have hot pasta, we have grilled proteins that are fresh off the grill. And so we have warm, comforting food. Like, cause if you go for a salad, salads are great. I, I eat the new bacon and blue salad all the time. It's delicious. <laughs> but there are other times where I want, you know, pasta with pomodoro sauce and meatballs. Um, you know, like for instance, the, the, a lot of the things that we do on the menu, we don't necessarily call out, although we should. And it's a poor job on my part, but you know, like for instance, our meatball, is 100% grass-fed, 100% no antibiotics, mm. no additional animal hormones added, and it's free-range beef. Uh, and that's what the beef that goes inside of our meatball. All of our steak and chicken are natural. Much like those are stable, table steaks, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're making dressings in-house because, because the flavor, you can absolutely tell the flavor difference between something that is either shelf-stable, frozen, or refrigerated, that's made at a vendor and shipped into you. Mm. So, you know, the effort that we put into those items, I think shows through. Obviously, you've got the, when you go into a piata, it's much like a, you know, go down the line, you can sort of build it or you can choose a chef menu item. So you can see the freshness cues, freshly sliced strawberries, you know, freshly, freshly diced tomatoes, all of those things, the lettuces, you can see them, they're all on display. Um, so I think we've always gotten great credit for the freshness cues. Mm -hmm. But I think what's really helped us um, is the addition of the chef menu items. Mm -hmm. And the chef menu items are curated items that we put together for you as your starting point if you're new to Piata. So if you come in and you want the pasta carbonara, you can either get the pasta, pasta carbonara with either uh, thin spaghetti or you can get it with penne pasta. So you've got a choice right there. For people who like long noodles, no short noodle will do. And conversely, if you hate uh, in spaghetti, penne is probably your go-to, right? Of the two. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then it has spinach and it has pancetta and you can add a protein, but if you don't like pancetta, you can omit that. You can add extra spinach, you can add arugula, you could add artichoke parts, 
you know, so, so there's that opportunity for you to customize it and get it exactly the way you want it. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll toss it and present it to you. So, yeah. And since you've arrived at Piata, has you changed the menu at all? I mean, or how has it changed? What are some of the things you brought to it? Sure. We've done, we've done more and we've also done less. Mm -hmm. um, when I got here, we were, we were introducing the, what we call the Tascas, these little pocket sandwiches. They were great. They weren't little. They were very, very filling. Uh, but what we found was it slowed down throughput and it was confusing and very complex. Um, so we took those away. And then we were changing the menu more frequently. Um, but what we found was the guest was finding something they loved. And then we'd take it away and they'd be angry. So as we progress the menu, we're trying to keep our staples. So our pastas, our piadas, and our chopped salads, keeping the same sauces, but innovating around them. Like, for instance, we added hot chicken a couple of years ago. Uh, and it's done fabulously. It's great. It's super hot. Um, I, it's really like hot, hot chicken. It's not like fake hot chicken, right? <laughs> um, and it's great in the avocado piata. So the innovation that we've done have been more about augmentative items um, than taking something away that was a guest favorite before. Mm -hmm. You know, we've done a lot of work in the area of limited time offerings with beverages. Uh, we brought on the blackberry hibiscus lemonade. This summer, we're featuring a honey and uh, rock melon aqua fresca. Mm. So, you know, it's it's the Italian version. It's, you know, cantaloupe or rock melon, right? I think rock melon sounds better than cantaloupe. We're using local honey. So we actually went and found um, in each one of our markets, uh, local honey. Mm. So uh, we're using local honey, which helps with, you know, with allergies and seasonal things. There's a health halo on honey. And so it's honey. It's the, uh, it's the cantaloupe or the rock melon, fresh lime juice, and that's it. Um, and then we're also testing, uh, we, were we were testing espresso at one point, And we had an espresso machine and a gelato machine. And that's great. But, um, you know, when we looked at the ROI on those two things, you're looking at $35,000 of equipment um, that both can be fairly finicky, right? Mm. Uh, so this summer we're testing a, a cold brew and we're making the cold brew in-house. We're working with Sega Fredo, which is a great, amazing Italian coffee company. Um, so it's authentic. And we're also, uh, so we're going to do cold brew and we're doing a sweet cream cold brew and we're also doing a dark cold brew. So the innovation is more augmentative to the menu than changing the menu. And one thing that we found out, we did a, you know, we did an extensive qualitative and quantitative study in 2017 was um, guests who come to Fast Casual want better food, but they behave like fast food guests where when they find their sweet spot, do not move it. Like for me, I, and I, I'm, I know a good person, a good friend of mine, and he goes uh, when he's on the road. You know, he's in the car with him. He'll go to he'll go to the, you know, the lady with the long red hair and the ponytails at fast food restaurant. <laughs> he'll go there and he'll order the number six with either a water or a diet coke. Now, if they took the number six off, he would be really upset. Mm. We all know the number six is spicy chicken, so I'm not I'm not that. <laughs> so anyway, my good friend, uh, yeah. So he's stuck on it, right? And he's a food snob. So 
the, the, the guest is eating much like uh, fast food guests. Do not take their favorite away. Give them something around the fridges. So we added we added some desserts. We've added some LTO beverages. Last year to celebrate our 10 year anniversary, we did stuffed pasta, which was a huge hit. Um, you know, it was a huge hit for us. It was really great. We got tons of feedback on it. And uh, and this fall we've got we've got another comfort food favorite to come back. So. so how did you enhance some of the menu items for off premise? You mentioned that you were already pretty set for off premise during the you know before the pandemic, but did you do anything to make them travel better or package them with you know better packaging or anything like that? Yeah. So we're and we're still looking into it, right? We're constantly evolving. I think. There's been two things. I think there's been a huge um, companies are looking at their packaging, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're thinking, hey, if it has to go through third party or it has to go with someone in their car, how can we get it there in better shape? So for us, as the as we as the rise of uh, to go happened, we actually looked at how we built our pastas and how we built our salads, and, and before we used to toss them all. And we used to toss them with the saucers, we could toss them with the vinaigrettes, but depending on how long they took to get somewhere, um, the quality was much less. Mm. So we actually went to kind of constructing in layers, uh, the sauces and, the, and we put the vinaigrettes on the side for the salad. So that was the first thing. And then the other thing is we, we did some innovation in terms of packaging for temperature um, control and for crispness. But the problem is, is that if you're aware of what's happening in the packaging space, it is a, it's just an unmitigated train wreck right now. You know, everybody when it, if you're getting a paper bag, God bless. If you're, if you're getting your paper bag with your logo on it, wow, okay, you are somebody. Um, so, you know, it, it will get better. We'll make those changes as we can. But for us, it's about how does the item get there? right? Is it in as great shape? Like for instance, we worked with a manufacturer who had a lid for the salads, but that fit a, a, a ramekin right on it, but the ramekin was too big for us. So we made a deal and we said, we we're going to buy so many. And they, they, they made a smaller, they made a lid with a smaller rim. So uh, we're, we're getting that actually got that through. So, you know, it's easier for the team member to see if they have the, the dressing, because if there's a hole there, we forgot the dressing. Mm. There's nothing worse than forgetting something, you know, like, hey, if you have a salad with no dressing, that's you, you've gone straight to bummer town, right? <laughs> so trying to help our teams execute better uh, was also the other thing. You know, we're always looking at our guest feedback. We're trying to figure out, okay, did we did we set the lines up? As a matter of fact, over the over the course of the of this this past year. We actually flipped a lot of our lines to put the protein last. Mm. Um, so it would be hotter, it would be on top, the team could see if it was in there, um, and it would show better. So again, we're looking at guest feedback, the empirical data that comes in, and we're asking ourselves the question, how can we execute this at a higher level? Is this systemic? Is this a training issue? Is it a concept issue? Uh, and those are the filters that we put it through. And then there obviously is gonna be some sort of solution uh, like I talked to you about the bag issue or the or some of the packaging issues, um, not so much right now, but we have a plan for the future. 
you have a separate make line for off-premise or is it the same line as the- We do. Um, the first restaurant, Chris is pretty, he's, he's, he's pretty smart to see this. Uh, the first restaurant that we built had a pickup window. And this was 11 years ago, a pickup window <laughs> and a separate make line. Mm. Now, somewhere along the, along the way, we, uh, we started building the, the restaurant a little smaller, but we added them back in. And, um, and all of our restaurants have a second make line. Um, and we've gone back twice already to make them larger. As a matter of fact, currently, uh, the, next, uh, the next series of restaurants, the makeup line is gonna, be, is gonna have the same throughput as the front line. Mm. Um, we're seeing kind of, you know, we're still seeing good uh, guest, uh, guest counts return. Uh, we're pretty excited about that for dine-in. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, as we've seen third-party decline a little bit, what hasn't declined are guest visits to our website and getting either, you'll either get it made and put it, we'll put it on our shelf and they'll pick it up mm. or, or they'll get it delivered through our, you know, our Piata, mypiata.com. And I read that you also um, created some chef curated bowls um, because customization was taking a little too long on the line. So can you tell me a little bit about the bowls you created? Sure. So that's our, that's our chef menu. Um, and we just actually increased it from nine to 12 items. And the reason, you know, and people are saying, oh, we're limiting our menus right now. You know, we're, we're scaling down, we're making smaller menus. Uh, we're, the, we're, the, we're the silly people who run into the house on fire and say, you know, the guests have chosen. Um, so we're making more menu items because of the president's pres presence of digital. Hmm. Um, you know, you've got to have something to show to the guests. And if they're, if they're getting, and we've done a great job, our team has done a great job of uh, photographing those ingredients so you can kind of visualize and build your own. Um, but, you know, we had a Pomodoro sauce that wasn't on a menu item. So all of a sudden, let's make, a, let's make another item that we're selling already. Um, so we've, we've increased our chef menu items. It increases throughput another, uh, so our teams can build the items quicker. Mm -hmm. um, it helps us make sure that the 12 items that they customize are less so that we can raise our accuracy because I, I'm sure that as a guest, you would rather have your order absolutely correct um, than to have the option of putting strawberries on Pomodoro sauce. <laughs> Don't, sure. do not laugh. <laughs> I, was, I was doing my training, we had a guest came through the line and, and you know, I'm giving them genuine hospitality and we're going through the line and they, they make a pasta. They, they put sausage on it, red sauce. Then they added spinach, sliced strawberries and creamy Parmesan on top. Very interesting. Now, you may love all of those things. I'm not sure if they go great together. <laughs> right. So chef menu items are a great way for someone to get into the concept make the right choices, learn the ropes, and then customize from there. And I think it also eliminates some of that decision paralysis, you know, when customers yeah. go online and they can't figure out what they want. That's me. I would rather have, you know, something, I'd rather have something to choose from, especially if it's my first time at a place. But so how is Piata positioning itself for growth mode? I know that you're, you int you're introducing a new store footprint. So tell yeah. me a little bit about that. So it started when we saw this amazing storefront 
um, in Pittsburgh, in East Liberty, which is on the east side of town. And it was it was a great space. We all fell in love with it. It screamed Piata when we saw it. Super dense population. Um, and but the problem was it was seven or eight hundred feet smaller than anything we'd ever built. And we walked away going, that would be great, but there's there's you know, like really literally no room for a dining room. And then we're like, okay, so what happens if we don't have a dining room? How do we do that? Um, and that really became the, 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 the pay first model, which we had, we had built pay first model before, never really put it in the store, but we beta tested it. We developed the technology, the POS systems, the, the KDS systems. We've done all of that work. Um, and then last year, right around second month of the pandemic, we decided to test, um, in Cleveland. A, a, a full-blown drive-through, and whether or not the full-blown drive-through was going to work, it did a couple of things for us, which moved our technology forward. It allowed us to really fully implement and test the KDS in real time, and it it taught us that if we did certain things a certain way, we could get double the throughput on our to-go lines, on our to-go to-go make lines, um, and it also increased accuracy which was really is the holy grail. Accuracy is the holy grail, um, definitely in turn with the throughput. But again, if, if, you, if we forget to add a meatball to the guest's pasta and they're in the restaurant, they can come up if they feel comfortable and say, hey, we paid for the meatball, we didn't get it. But mm. if they're 25 minutes away, <laughs> if they've waited 30 minutes for their third-party delivery driver to get there, and they on, they're on Twitter, that is a recipe for disaster for all of us, right? Right. right. And, and everybody uh, listening can understand that piece. So um, those pieces really allowed us to go into this space and look at, um, is it possible? I know it's plausible. It's, it, we think we can do it. We're gonna test the hypothesis. And um, I feel really good about it. It's a great site. Again, it'll open, you know, you, we talked about the growth. We're, we're on an aggressive growth path. Um, It'll allow us to look at some markets where, you know, it's a good fill-in. It may be heavy foot traffic area, but we just don't have the space. And it'll allow us to give the Piata experience to the guest um, without the dining room. So, mm. you know, so we're, still you seeing, we're still seeing digital hold fairly well for us. Again, with, the, with our website visits, third party has dropped off because I honestly believe the guest understands that you're costing your local business money when you use third party. Now, having said that, I, I'm so glad we had third party. You know, we ripped our hair out and, and gnashed our teeth, but they were really, they were really somebody who was our friend. So is this uh, Pittsburgh store uh, one of the models for expansion as you grow? Again, I think it'll help us. Um, I, we're, listen, our, our traditional model is, is to serve our food, genuine hospitality. So mm -hmm. we've, we've shrunk our size that we're looking at. You know, we'll go anywhere between 2,000 and 2,400 square feet. Um, we'll go a little bit larger if it has to be that site. We're stuck with the space. Mm -hmm. uh, but it'll also give us the opportunity to fit into smaller spaces in the future. If, if that market is critical to be in, we feel like we need to plant a flag. We have that. It's another tool in our toolbox. And... Um, 
what it does give us is a real life test on throughput accuracy and 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 who knows what happens right it could it could drive us into another direction uh you know completely mm-hmm. never say never <laughs> and you talk a lot about throughput so you must have to do a lot of training of your team to get all the orders correct and you know get all the that meatball on top of the pasta every time yeah the execution more complicated than at other some at other fast casuals you know what's interesting i, I um i think a little mm-hmm. um I don't, I don't want any of our partners to hear that but um i think yeah we have I, I think the dishes just to complete because they some of them have very specific items that go in it um are you know obviously in in my past life i came from fine dining and Casual dining, pause casual. So, you know, they have the chef, the chef touches on them. And I think mm-hmm. that's a very positive piece. If you look at, you know, leading fast casuals, you know, we all kind of focus on the chef touch to it. So, you know, measuring is a really important piece. What gets measured gets managed. Yeah, I mean, it sets you apart too. I mean, I, you know, I think people, respect the fact that there is more complication to making a dish. So, um, And as far as drive-throughs grow, go, you said you tested one and is that something that you see in the future or is that not, not a possibility? Again, never say never. I would, at this point, I would say no. I, I think mm-hmm. it's interesting when you look at, you know, some of these new prototype models and, and I'm sure you get the emails, Pat, where, where, you know, they'll say, hey, the, the fast food is doing a digital pickup window. And I really do believe that uh, a pickup window where somebody can use their app is, is the way to go. I mean, everyone uses their personal handheld computer um, to live their life. Mm-hmm. And what you're finding is people who use native apps, like we have a native app we've built in-house. It's an amazing app. Um, they're using that to finish their day. You leave work. You want to go and get chicken tikka marsala, right? You, you, if the restaurant has an app or you use the, the ordering, whatever, you order it. If you can stay in your car, pull up to a window and just pick it up and you're going to get a high quality dish, you're probably going to do that because you've had time to plan. It takes away the stress of it. Like if you think about going up to a car with five people in it, ordering at a drive-through window, unless the menu is limited, it's a bit of a stressful situation, especially mm-hmm. when you have cars behind you. So I think that fast casual with a for us with a pickup window is the best way to go. Mm-hmm. It's on the guest time. It makes it easy and relaxing for them, uh, and they know when to expect it. Well, you talked a little bit about your growth, but what's next for Piata as we move into the rest of 2021? And, and maybe reveal a couple of the menu items that you're working on, if, you, if it's not giving away any trade secrets? Sure, uh, they're all trade secrets. <laughs> um, you know, so we've got growth on tap. You know, we've, uh, we're, we're building an infrastructure. Um, we've hired uh, some really key players for our internal corporate team um, to focus on guest execution, guest hospitality, um, discipline and focus. So we are 
constantly working on improving our operations and our guest experience. That's the first thing. So, so that's a big thing for us coming mm -hmm. up next year. Um, we also have six restaurants slated to open at the end of this year. Um, and we've got a robust pipeline with two to three times that for next year. And then up from 20 to 23, 23 pipelines coming together pretty well. 22 is almost fully baked. And then uh, this year, we're, our LTO that we're going to do this fall, we've tested already. We tested it in Cleveland and Columbus. Um, we're going to do uh, Piatta's Twist on Mac and Cheese. Mm. Uh, it's pasta. It's great. Sauce is amazing. Um, it's expensive. But, you know, what are you going to do? You know, it's just one of those things. So we'll do Mac and Cheese this fall. Again, we'll look at the cold brew and see how that uh, is successful or not. And then we're looking uh, always at adding additional items that are uh, augmented, you know, snacks and sides. Uh, those things we're working. I know that it, they've been around forever, but I think that there's a uh, there's a hole in our menu, and we're working for that. Um, and then just yeah, just the growth machine. So we're excited to really give the teams who worked so hard for us an opportunity not only to grow. Uh, their careers, but to help grow the company. And as far as personally, what are you looking forward to? Are you going to travel or what is in the future? What I'm looking forward to personally is getting, getting back to the exciting part. You know, I think that um, before, the, before the pandemic, we did a lot of work on Piata as a concept. We did a lot of work on Piata in the in the area of the guest experience um and all of the all of that hard work is coming to fruition right now with the growth and opportunity for our teams um, i know that personally you know uh, i can't tell them who they are but you know they're on tap to, to be promoted at some point and mm -hmm. and that's exciting for me. i i i love growth companies i love seeing the culture get stronger. I love um, making something out of nothing. And that's what drives, that's what drives me to get up every day. That, that's what drives me to, to you know, focus on the things that are tough to focus on. Um, there's no better feeling if you're in the food service industry and you've worked for a company before than the feeling of, you know what, you're, you're, you're kind of moving forward in the universe and you're sucking all these amazing people into the flow uh, and moving it forward. So that's what's on tap for me. Um, you know, I think uh, getting people, getting our teams back to regularly scheduled vacations and off time um, is another thing that I'm looking forward to. I know that our team last year worked extremely hard um, and, and making, them, uh, making them happier in the long term. You know, listen, this, this last year has been kind of a lot of chaos. Mm -hmm. And the focus is getting getting people as we as leaders need to focus our team to get out of the chaos and into the business of the ordinary. And, you know, my, my grandmother used to say, and this is great. She goes, you know, listen, everything, everything will pass. All good things pass and all bad things pass. You've got to take it in stride. Uh, and I, and I think that most people will agree that we've been kind of in a not great place for a while. Um, and I'd like to see more smiles on faces. I'd like to see more normal days out there. 
Thanks so much for sharing all those inspirational ideas and thoughts, Matt. Please join us for another episode of Menu Feed as we explore more food and drink trends. The podcasts are now available to download on Spotify. Thank you.